Okay, we're going to look at the third commandment this morning. So could you turn to Exodus 20, please? I'm looking at the Ten Commandments over the summer months. There will be a break of one or two months, uh, one or two weeks, a big pun. Now, uh, not months. <laughs> and uh, it, it, fortunately, they are to some extent one-offs, though obviously they do tie together. Uh, and I feel that God's put these on my heart to share with you and to teach into us as a church that we understand things in our day and our generation. And also, uh, if you're not a Christian, if you're interested or just curious, I really want you to listen carefully because I believe God will speak to you out of these things. It may not be comfortable, but it will be like the discomfort of a godly loving surgeon that is making uh, a discomfort to bring a healing. Uh, that God will make you think, wow, I mean, I feel uneasy about that, what, if, if that's what God thinks. Uh, and, and actually, that's one of the purposes of the law. The Bible tells us it drives us to Christ. So one of the purposes of the Ten Commandments is to, is to show us, as I keep saying, something like a, a, a spirit level or a plumb line that shows us where we're crooked, where we're out of kilter. And we are. All of us are sinners. And we sometimes really don't recognise that. We can recognise it on the big stuff, murder and things like that. But some of the other things, we, we, would, we would think we're okay. Now, we need to know we're not. It's just like a medical problem. You might feel okay, and I do know, even dear brothers and sisters here, have certain diseases recently, actually, where actually they feel okay. But then it's found that maybe they have a, a cancerous growth somewhere. It's just not showing itself. And in actual fact, the sooner you catch it, the better. So they then go through a very painful process. They look, don't look so okay. They actually get, have an operation and look a bit weak and have to recover. But it's all to heal them. And actually God can be like, the Ten Commandments can, can make you challenge you, make you uncomfortable. And you think, what? Is that right? Then I'm, what about me? And actually the whole thing is to drive you to Christ and bring hope and change and deliverance. You didn't realise some of this stuff is very dangerous. This is how it is. Because another aspect of the Ten Commandments are they are, in effect, the Maker's instructions. They're God telling us, look, this is how it is. They're not like an optional, let's discuss it, are these ten good suggestions? They're not ten suggestions, they're ten commandments, but they're, they're, they're God saying, these are things that are important as human beings if, and it is, I'm afraid, theoretical now for all of us, but if we were able to keep the Ten Commandments totally, completely and easily, the whole of life would be a thousand times better, healthier, longer and freer in every way. I mean, you can just think of some obvious ones. And, you know, if, if we didn't steal, if we didn't commit adultery, you know, the whole of society would benefit immediately. It would be far cheaper too. The billions of pounds sin costs us. Th these are actually God's sort of like, if you live like this... This is how you're meant to live. Now, the issue, as I've already said, is we don't live like that, and it illustrates how off-centre we are. But in actual fact, Adam and Eve, before the fall, wouldn't really have found them any big sweat. That's how you lived, in harmony with God. You loved him with all your heart. You, you honoured his name. You, 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 you worshipped him. You did what he told you to do in, in beautiful harmony, not under law, but out of the righteous sort of flow of their lives, in harmony with God. Well, it's the maker's instructions. And at that level, it still has a value. That may not be the main thing we think of when we're preaching it today, but it does still have a value because even if they're inadequately kept, the Ten Commandments are a better way to live for a healthier society. It would be better if people didn't 
steal and, co- and, and commit adultery and, and covet. And actually they give us a direction for how to, how to, as it were, boundary sin a bit, to limit corruption. And our society, heeding these things, would be a better place. And is, when they are heeded, it just works. Even when people aren't fully born again, it works to take heed to these things. But actually, there is a third sort of purpose in a way, and it's that as Christians, these summarise the sort of righteous requirements of the law. We're told in Romans 8 that when we walk in the Spirit, we we walk in the righteous requirements of the law. What we could never achieve through law, because you can't, because law relies on your ability to do it, which is usually inadequate because of our sin. But when we're born again, we have a new heart, a new spirit, and it's as though God writes his law in our hearts which is a poetic way of saying the Spirit of God brings the righteousness of God into our hearts. And we begin to live in the way God wants us to live as we walk in the Spirit. And so actually these things can become almost promises, if you like, or markers. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't steal. You'll become a giver, not a taker. You walk in the Spirit, you're going to use God's name correctly because you're going to understand it and you're going to understand its power. You won't abuse it. And so they are directives or directional words as well for us as Christians in the light of the Spirit-filled life. Well, now let's look at this third one this morning. Just reading uh, Exodus 20 and verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now there's a solemnity to these commandments which I don't want to lose. It's, as I said last week, it's like as though God comes close and I said, gets a bit in our faces on these occasions and says, don't misuse my name. And there's like a stillness to this. And he says, actually, I will punish or I will not hold guiltless those who misuse my name. You think, it's a bit serious. What's that about? Well, let's try and understand it. I'm just, while you've got it in front of you, I'm just going to read an amplified version, amplified Bible, I think, where I got it from, of, of that verse. So we just try and understand what it says. This is an amplified way of giving the sense. You shall not misuse or repeat in vain, lightly, frivolously, falsely, profanely, the name of the Lord. And I just want to make a comment here. Lord is in capital letters in your Bible, which means that in Hebrew that would have been the word Yahweh, the I am name of God. You shall not misuse that. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not leave unpunished anyone who takes his name in vain or misuses his name. Let's just uh, think for a moment then. What is the third commandment about? So that's the sort of first question I want to try and ask. And I will not digress, but I will be fleshing that out a bit as we talk through it. The third commandment is forbidding the misuse of the name of God, which does include the word God, but actually there is a particular distinctive aspect brought in this commandment, which is the covenantal name of God, Yahweh. For, for, for Israel, and for Jews. In other words, what God has revealed about himself, the names he's revealed are not to be abused and misused in any way. And actually for us, you can genuinely say there is an additional or a different aspect to it. Because in our day, we are now in the new covenant. And in the new covenant, the covenantal name that focuses everything is Jesus Christ. And God has revealed himself in Jesus And that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. 
So the abuse of the name of Jesus and Christ is included very much in this commandment. This commandment is not a legalistic thing. It's saying, when I've revealed my name to you, when you've got my name, you are to use that with great care. You are not to abuse it. You know, even we understand, when when we come together in marriage covenant, husband and wife, in our culture, it is still common for the wife to take the husband's name. Marion is now Mrs. Groves and has been, pleased to say, for 31, is it? Or 32 years? 31. 31, thank you. 31 years. Pleased to say, but not too good at maths. Um, That's okay. (laughs) 31 years, Marion's been Mrs. Groves. Now, she's taken my name because behind that is the thinking of the Bible that we are covenanted together and what I have is hers. And she shares all that I am and I share all she is. And in biblical theology, we see the man as head of the, the, the family and therefore the wife joins in and becomes part of him and all he is. Now, I also share all she is. It's not a dictatorship at all. But it's a beautiful illustration of the relationship of us to God, of Christ to his church, that we become one with him and in his name we share everything he has. In his name he gives us all that he is. Name is not just a few words or a few syllables. It's a giving of himself. And God says, when I give myself to you, I expect you to respect me and respect what I give you. Now, in the new covenant, there are wonderful, wonderful blessings from the right use of Jesus' name. Now, we're going to quickly look at them. I don't want you to turn to them. We're just going to skim this, really. But I want your heart to be filled with joy because actually a huge part of what I want you to get this morning is the correct use of God's name and the greater privileges we have in and through the name of Jesus, the things God's given us. So let's just look at some of them quickly. I trust they'll go up on the screen. Correct use of the name of Jesus leads to these things. One, eternal life. A verse for you. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. The name of Jesus Christ can bring you eternal life. When you accept and believe that Jesus is the, is the Lord of all is, and is the saviour, your saviour and our saviour, as you put faith in his name, you receive eternal life. So in embracing Jesus, you are given eternal life. You're given salvation. You're saved from the consequence of your sin. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is none other no, I beg your pardon, no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There is no other name that can save anyone from their de- condemnation. It is amen. It is amen. There's no, one, no other name that can save anyone from condemnation. This is a precious name. The name of Jesus. It's a name of hope for everyone in every nation on the whole planet. The name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Forgiveness of your sins. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. In the name of Jesus, your sins can be forgiven. Isn't, let's say amen to that. Amen. You know, when you believe in Jesus Christ, in his name I'm forgiven. I stand before a holy God and say, Lord, my plea is that my sins are all forgiven in and through the name of Jesus Christ. He has borne them away. I am saved. They are forgiven. I am clean. What a wonderful name. The name of Jesus. There's healing in his name. 
Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now we're to learn how to move in that sort of authority and faith. But Jesus says, do it. Go in my name, lay hands on the sick, and they will get better. And we need to learn the authority given to us in his name. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. What a beautiful name. Healing comes through Jesus' name. Authority is in that name. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Oh, Jesus Christ is Lord. The name above every name. Now the next verse tells us that we worship him and we worship in and through that name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We're going to get there first. We're not waiting until we have to bow before the throne of judgment or something. We gladly bow the knee to Jesus. He is the one we love. He is the one we serve. Protection comes through the name of Jesus. Jesus himself praying, While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. Now, we need to learn how to use the name of Jesus to protect ourselves from Satan's attacks. Say, you leave me alone in the name of Jesus. There's authority in this name, like in the name of the law. You know, a policeman is just another individual. But when he's clothed with his, he or she is clothed with their police uniform and is able to go on duty and accost you, they have great authority, really, in the name of the government or the queen, I suppose, really. They represent something. Although they're an ordinary person, they're clothed in that authority. And they say, right, you know, in, that, in the name of the law, if you like, I apprehend you. Now, we have an authority. We're clothed in Jesus and in his name. It's not, we're just ordinary little human beings. But we are now in Christ. And in the name of Jesus, we can resist Satan and his temptation. We can claim and ask for protection. Lord, keep me. Protect me. Your name is a stronghold. It's a fortress for me. Deliverance comes through the name of Jesus. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. That's good, isn't it? Now, actually, we need to be confident of that. I feel over the years, I've, I've not, I have done quite a, a bit of deliverance ministry at times, but I've found that really, in the end, we don't need to fuss around with demons and make a long, drawn-out process. We should come and say, that this is... We have authority in the name of Jesus. Leave this person and leave them alone. And and we just need to really stick with that ground, not even get into too much dialogue, to be honest. Because demons bluff and they deceive and they lie. That's their nature. We just say, in the name of Jesus, we're telling you what to do. A bit like the policeman again. And Jesus gave us his name and his authority. Prayer, we can ask in Jesus' name. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That challenges me. Because I don't experience that all the time. But I've got to learn how to get into that. I mean, it doesn't always mean that everything I want. I've got to learn to know what he's doing and how the Holy Spirit's leading me and perhaps something of his will on things. But there's a confidence that I come boldly in and through the name of Jesus and ask for anything in his name. His presence comes through his name. Matthew 18:20. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. When we come together in the name of Jesus to worship him, respect him and honour him, that brings the very presence of God amongst us. Doesn't that mean that this name is very, very precious? 
It's a very precious name. The covenantal name that we enjoy is primarily Jesus Christ. Now we do still, of course, refer to God as God. And so that's still a name to be honoured. The Lord is still a name to be honoured because it's the same God we're dealing with. The Old Testament God is the same as the New Testament God. We have a greater revelation of his grace and his mercy through Jesus Christ. But it's a follow-on, it's a fulfilment of the Old Testament. Sometimes people talk about, you talking about replacing something or, you know, something that's at variance from the old. No, no, no. It's a fulfilment. It hangs on. It all hangs together, actually. It's the same God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the God who is speaking to Moses. So all of these names are, in effect, our covenant names. They're all identified with blessing and they all need to be treated with respect. So what is it about this prohibition on the name? Let's just keep thinking on that first question. So, well, I probably made it obvious in one way. If the name is so precious, it must be treated with great respect. But as I've already said, a name is more than a sound. It carries your, 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 your character. It carries your worth. We speak of a company or a person, a business, having a good name. An actual fact, they spend millions of pounds to have a good name. And if that name is compromised by something, it is very costly. There have been some outstanding examples over the last decade or two. Think of British beef after the BSEs thing. That which was known as the, some of the best beef in Europe and the world suddenly became, nobody wanted it anywhere. And the whole name became a complete disaster. You know, and that, that, even recently, was it a year or so ago, Cadbury's had some salmonella found in their cream eggs or something. I, I forget what it was found in, but some chocolate. And, and actually, Cadbury's cost them over £30 million, they say. Just the name was suddenly compromised. Names are very, very important. We need to clear our names sometimes if things get bad and confused. I mean, Shakespeare understood it. Cassio to Othello in Othello. Good name in man or woman, dear my Lord, is the immediate jewel of their souls. Who steals my purse steals trash. Tis something, nothing. Twas mine, tis his, and has been slave to thousands. But he that filches from me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him and makes me poor indeed. And that's true. You know, actually your name is more important than your riches. You lose your purse, you can replace it. Your name is dismerched and it's, it's a different thing. Now, if that's true for human beings, how much more we must honour the name of God? We mustn't compromise his name. We mustn't undermine it. We mustn't belittle it. His is the name above every name. His name represents all authority and all power. It represents his integrity. His name represents his love, his faithfulness, his character. All the wonderful things we've quickly thought about in looking at Jesus Christ are, are in the name. To abuse that name is appalling. Let's ask the question then, and we must ask it for ourselves, whatever our state this morning, Christian or not, how do we misuse the Lord's name? It's obviously we mustn't take from it, we mustn't undermine it, but what is this about? What is this commandment about? How do we do it? Well, sometimes the translations are take it in vain, which uh, is an old way of saying emptily or falsely. And there are really three main ways in which you can misuse the name of, of, of God or of the Lord Jesus himself. And they're not irrelevant to us. The three big things are blasphemy, hypocrisy and familiarity. And these three things, God would come close and say, just be careful you don't 
stray into this ground. Even for Christians, we need to be careful. We have, through the Spirit, the power and the desire, I hope, to use his name rightly, like we were looking at. But we can compromise that, particularly on one or two of these points. If you're not a Christian, I want you to, in a way, be a bit disturbed this morning, deliberately, because you may lightly use the name, and I want you to learn that that's not a name to mess about with, but you can find it to be a name of hope, as I hope you've already gathered a little bit already. I'll try and say a bit more at the end about that. But you know, in our day and age, these commandments often... People can understand, they can understand like stealing and adultery and and murder, but they really don't understand this one and these ones, certainly these early ones. And they're very, very commonly flouted. People would treat this as very light. Our culture has a lot of blasphemy in it. There is a lot of blasphemy in our culture. What is blasphemy? Well, blasphemy is to curse God, to mock God, to mock Jesus Christ, It's to swear using the name of Jesus or God and not mean anything. It's profanity. That is all blasphemy. It's things like Jerry Springer, the opera. That's blasphemous. It's things like The Last Temptation of Christ, which was a film probably a little while ago now, which mock or or, or make outrageous uh, sort of associations with God or with Jesus Christ. It's to abuse him, to make light of him, to make jokes at the expense of God and Jesus Christ. Now, you could be sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we might go, oh, yeah, yeah. God says, don't do it. And I punish those who do it. <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because we just need to hear God. I mean, it's a shock to our culture. We think it is so unimportant. It's so light what we say. It really doesn't matter. It really does matter. Angry, destructive talk about God and Jesus Christ. If people use God's name or Jesus' name for magic or occult purposes, which people do, they are being blasphemous, trying to use his name to perhaps control something or manipulate some power. Probably the most common, of course, is the constant use of God, Jesus Christ, Christ as a swear word. Everyday life. The media would treat those sort of words far more lightly than the so-called four-letter words. Four-letter words, you get little stars to say we don't quite know what they are. Well, four-letter words are simply Anglo-Saxon words for ordinary, earthy things. And I'm not saying I should use them or you should use them because our society recognises them as crude and rude. But actually, they are only Anglo-Saxon words for ordinary things. Far, far more serious is the abuse of the name of Jesus Christ and the abuse of the name God now, I'm not encouraging you. You say, oh, that's right, John, I can use four letters. I'm not encouraged. That's not the issue. <laughs> I'm just saying how distorted our culture is so that you can't print those words, but, of course, you don't worry. You liberally scatter the, bis- the misuse of God's, word, God's name and Jesus' name. It's a common feature of life, and it shows a contempt for God. It shows a, a disregard. It's a, there's a sort of sneer to it. I often think, why don't people use the name of Muhammad or Buddha or Marx to swear? Why don't people drop a hammer and say, oh, Karl Marx? I don't know. Why don't they? Oh, Buddha. Now, I, now, I, I think there's a reason, actually. I really do. I think demons recognise the power in Jesus' name. name. Demons love to destroy it and twist it. Demons know 
the third commandment better than human beings. And they know they're drawing damnation on the people as they tempt them to say that. It's not going to draw anything into their lives to say, oh, Karl Marx. But if they misuse the name of Jesus, they are further digging a pit for themselves with the living God. They will, these people will all one day, we all will one day stand before Jesus Christ as our judge. And we will have to give an account for how we've used his name. We're not going to do that with Karl Marx, Buddha or Mohammed. We're going to stand before him. And demons know that and they know that if they can get people really digging a hole, they've got them. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that there's also an inherent sort of hatred of God, which, which is quite frightening in humans. People get angry with God and they're happy to abuse his name. They're happy to shake their fist at him. If only they knew what he was like. He's a, he, he is an awesome creator and judge, but he's a loving, righteous, just, gracious God. And he is extending arms of love to you still in this day and age. And people still spit in his face and abuse his name. I think there is a spiritual power to it which is reflected in the fact that it is such a powerful, so much abused and such a powerful swear word as it were. There's so much antagonism behind it. But I don't want to just give people a hard time. I want to say that that name that you can abuse so easily can be actually a door of utter hope to you. It can be a door of hope and change. And I want to say something. I hope you'll understand it. I'll try and put it carefully. Can I lovingly say to you, if you know the name of Jesus enough to use it as a swear word, you probably are within enough, you know enough to be able to find him as a saviour, particularly if you're sitting in this room this morning. I want to try and say this as carefully as I can because there is a lot of ignorance out there in our culture. A lot of people swear in total ignorance. But actually, there are, for example probably thousands of churches running Alpha courses. You could find out a bit more about this Jesus Christ whose name you use. Can I encourage you to do that before it's too late? Why don't you go on an Alpha course and see if there's not a bit more to learn about this guy whose name trips off your tongue. If you, you may not like it, but you think, oh, well, everybody does it, don't they? But let's find out a bit more about him. Wouldn't it be tragic to stand before Jesus in judgment and say, well, yeah, I did abuse your name, but I never took any interest in finding out about you. I, oh yeah, I knew there was a church in, in the centre of Winchester, several churches in Winchester that did Alpha courses, find out about Jesus, but I never bothered. Don't do that. Find out about this wonderful person. And I tell you, when you become a Christian, something changes inside you. It's very hard to swear using the name of Jesus. Now, some of us, not me particularly, because I was brought up in a Christian home, but some of us would have habitually used Jesus' name as a swear word before we got saved. And I'm sure you, several of you are going to nod. Am I not right that when you're saved, it, you just, that begins to change? It's quite radically. You might still lose your temper. You might still find the odd word you don't like comes out. But suddenly you know Jesus and you just have a totally different approach to Jesus. This name that meant nothing now means everything. Your saviour, your lord, the great list I read to you. It doesn't, isn't a list of information. It's an experience. He is your Lord and Saviour. He has forgiven your sins. You know him. <laughs> and when you know him, you don't abuse his name. Because you love him and know him. So there's real hope. Real hope that it changes. And I exhort you to, to do some research. Come along to one of our Alpha courses or come and talk to us. And find out about this wonderful person. Because when you become a Christian, it changes your whole perspective on this. Your whole perspective. Now, having said that, 
Sadly, occasionally, just to finish on this blasphemy, occasionally Christians do stray into this. And can I say to you, if you as a Christian, and I'm not talking about just losing a temper or something, but misusing the name of Jesus, if you as a Christian do that, really seek, search your heart. Have you gone very cold? You shouldn't be able to lightly use the name of Jesus. And if you find yourself tempted to, go and do some business with God. <laughs> That's all I'd exhort you to, because He is your friend, your lover your saviour, your lord. And actually it tells me there's something in the heart that's not right. Because out of the heart the mouth speaks. Now I'm not talking about using it. I, I want to try and be utterly honest with you. Sometimes when I am desperate, I use Jesus' name and I call out to him. And if you were listening through the wall, you might think, is John swearing? But he's not. He's calling out to Jesus. I'm quite concerned about something. I say, oh Jesus, what do I do about this? Now, I actually do talk like that. That's why I wouldn't like an open plan office. <laughs> I wouldn't like it. I do a lot of strange things that I wouldn't like. I'm sorry, don't, don't. Sometimes lie on the floor to pray. I mean, how do you do that in an open plan office? I mean, all sorts of things. But, I mean, I do talk to Jesus. I talk to Jesus during the day. And when I'm worried, I sometimes say, Lord Jesus, what am I going to do? Oh, Lord, what have I done there? And I will talk like that. Now, I don't want you to give you a neurosis. I think that's perfectly healthy. Because Jesus is real to me. I'm talking to someone I believe in. And I'm talking in a very real way. And sometimes I sort of talk, I'm quite a sort of emotional person. So sometimes I'll say, quite, sound quite emotional. But I can assure you, in case you hear through the wall, I am not swearing. <laughs> I'm talking to him. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I can, you know, feel angry and, and, and sort of say things I wouldn't wish I hadn't said. I mean, we're all real. I'm talking about the use of the name of Jesus. And I'm saying to you, if you as a Christian find that you, you can stray into misusing his name. Do some business with God because somewhere or other your heart's gone cold. Because when you know him and you know him in your heart, you can't really mess his name about. So just let me call you back with love and firmness to, to know him as your lover and to know him as your saviour and ask his forgiveness. Just occasionally, I might add an extra point here, just occasionally demonic activity can lead to a blasphemous tongue. And if you really are very distressed by, by periods of outbursts of blasphemy and, and you really don't want to do that, again, can you come and talk? Because I think you probably need some prayer. Demonic activity can do that. I've uh, once or twice experienced that with people who, who really didn't want to say it. And when you were dealing with the demonic activity, there was a whole foul mouth of blasphemy. It was the demon, not the person. And so just if you really are struggling in a, in a very serious way, we'd love, love to, you know, to know and to pray with you because that can be an issue, uh, uh, separate. But by no means, I think, for everyone, sometimes you can just be cold and, and the odd thing comes out and you think, come on, I've lost touch with Jesus. Okay, let's move on to the other two because these are nearer to the bone, really, for us as Christians. Hypocrisy and familiarity. Let's look at hypocrisy. What's hypocrisy? Well, that's obviously to act apart and pretend. Now, we can abuse the name of, of God or Jesus with hypocrisy, which is basically to profess his name and say we follow him and then not take any notice of what he says. To say, Lord, Lord, and not do what he says is actually an abuse of his name. Now, that can be a way that all of us stray. I do. You know, we sometimes feel, I am not living up to the name I profess. And I don't want to leave you feeling too comfortable about that or myself. We need to put that right. If we're professing the name of Jesus, we need to line up with what we profess. 
But sometimes that's quite a cynical thing. People know they're doing it. And I just challenge you, don't ever get into that, where you talk one thing and act completely another. And in our day and age, what's called the postmodern way of thinking, this seems to be even easier. I don't know if you agree with what I'm about to say, but I would observe it to be so. The postmodern world has allowed us to pick and mix with our lives. And somehow we think it's okay to do that and to do that, and I like doing that. So it can boil down to things like this. People can be in worship on a Sunday or some other day, and they're absolutely going for it. And they're praising the name of Jesus, and their arms are waving, and they mean it. They're going for it. And then on Saturday night, they're drunk. Or maybe they go and tell a lie during the week. And they don't, the problem is, they don't see that as particularly funny. That's the slightly more modern. I think people have always done things like that. But people sort of think, oh no, no, when I'm with my friends, I do that. And when I'm at church, I do that. No, 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 you've got to be consistent. You've got to be consistent. If you're standing and praising the name of Jesus, 724, your life's got to live up to what you're saying. That's not a legalistic, that's honouring Jesus' name. That's being a Christian. That's being a Christian. It's a 24-7 thing. You don't come and worship him, please, but then don't go out and, and, and be totally the opposite and think that's okay. It seems like somehow that's more ordinary or acceptable today that people think well I do that there and I do that with that bunch of friends and I do that with that bunch of friends no you know if you can't do it in the presence of God perhaps you shouldn't be doing it at all anywhere can you do it and can you give thanks in the name of Jesus for what you do this is a a simple test of whether you should do something whether you should watch something on telly or whatever you know can you give thanks thank you Jesus that I've watched that pornographic film well you can't do it can you Thank you, Jesus, for that drunken bout. You know, it will tell you what you can and can't do because you do everything in the name of Jesus and give thanks for everything. Now, you can give thanks for lots of good things, for a decent meal, for good company, for fun, for, for going to the cinema even. You know, it's not like, I'm not giving you a legalistic thing. I'm giving you a little test, but also the reality of what it is to be a Christian, that we carry the name of Jesus wherever we are. 1 Corinthians 6 says to, to Corinthians who are getting messed up with prostitutes, you involve Christ in that, Paul says, because he's with you and wherever you are, you represent him. And we dishonour his name if we don't watch ourselves, just live before God all the time. Perhaps two quite common ways of being hypocritical are this, words without thought, and we're all guilty of this, words without thought. We just need to be careful what we say when we say the name of Jesus. What I mean is words about God and about Jesus Christ. I've been uh, church leadership now for a good many years, actually, probably about 30. And uh, I've had so many people, I would say, misuse the name of God to justify what they want to do. God's told me to leave my wife. You know, God said to me, I didn't need to do this. The Lord told me to do that. Super spiritual use of his name. When it's perfectly obvious that that is out of kilter with what God says. I would say to you, if you're prone to do that, be careful. It says, the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. God doesn't want you to give his name as some little rubber stamp for your own choices. Make sure you do believe it's God who said it. I think you can say that. I'm not saying it's something never to say. Praise God. God does show us what to do. But just be careful that it isn't a little habit of trying to give weight to what you want to do. 
or trying to even justify what you perhaps feel uncomfortable with or feel that these people will think is wrong. And so you suddenly put up that. Well, God said to do it. Well, is that the correct use of his name? Just a gentle challenge, but a real challenge for all of us as Christians. Because we can all do it, in my opinion. Words without thought. Just even to put it more humbly would be better, maybe. Well, I, I think this is what I want to do. Or I think God might be leading. I'm not saying you've got to say everything that way. But only speak confidently when you know God has spoken to you. And the other thing is words without deeds. Now that is what I said, saying Lord, Lord and not doing what he said. So with words without thoughts and words without deeds, our behaviour, as I've been saying, needs to link up with what we profess or we will be in danger, as it were, of misusing his name. And then the other area, and it's similar in some ways, is familiarity. God expects us always to treat his name with respect. Now actually there is humour in the Bible. The Bible, I don't think, is a boring, stuffy book at all. There's a lot of, lot of drama in it. It's real life. There's a lot of messy stuff. There's a lot of very real, streetwise stuff in there too. But there's a lot of fun and joy and laughter. But what there isn't is ma- laughing at God. No one is mocking God in the Bible. <laughs> and we as Christians just need to be careful. We don't get so familiar that we stray into that. We can mock ourselves. We can, the Bible mocks human beings and their follies sometimes. We have to live with that. We can laugh at ourselves. But we mustn't mock God. And I think we need to be careful. Another way we can be over-familiar is to just switch off in worship and just switch off in the presence of God. Say you come to the bread and wine, which we have here sometimes. And I think you can do the bread and wine in a hundred different ways. You can do it joyfully, hugging each other. You can do it responding to the fact we're all one in Christ and just very aware of each other, talking even. I don't think that's necessarily un- unfamiliar at all, over-familiar, because you, you're recognising we're all Christians together. You can do it in a more common way, if you like, quietly and reverently, as we might call it. But I don't think to talk and mingle would be wrong. But I think what is wrong is to do it without any meaning, to do it empty, to do it unconscious of who Jesus is, or perhaps even as an empty ritual and you're just bored doing it. That would be misusing his name. And worship, times of worship. I think they can be multitude in their manner. You can be joyful, you can be dancing, you can be relaxed, you can be quiet, you can be on your knees, you can be weeping, you can be clapping, you can be quiet, all sorts of things. But what you shouldn't be is blank and uninvolved. Because we're praising the name of Jesus. We're lifting high the great name of God and perhaps you're just making a shopping list or thinking of what you watched on telly last night. Just be careful you're not abusing his name. I think sometimes, can I, I'm, I'm saying some things that I honestly think this morning. Well, I always say them actually. But I, th- I know this is slightly uncomfortable for one or two. I think sometimes we need to think about coming to worship late. We're in here worshipping the name of Jesus from 10 o'clock. We're praising God. Now, I know you late with the kids and stuff. I've been there, we've had three small children. But I'm talking about habitual. I'm talking about planning to come in 10, 20 minutes into it, rummage around, find a seat. While we're going, Jesus, lover of my soul, which we were singing this morning. While we're going, Jesus, name above all names. And you're going, where's me? Oh, blow, I've lost my, lost my polos. Have you got my polos? Uh, you think, I might not be respecting his name. I mean, I just asked the question, is that respecting his name? I mean, if we're praising his name, I suggest 
the very best attitude to avoid offending God, can I put it that way, is that we are honouring the name at the same time. And I think, brothers and sisters, we can all get over-familiar. It's not about law, it's about reality with our delightful, loving Lord. He is a real person, he knows you, he knows what you're doing. He knows if you're late because the dog was sick. He knows if you're late because the car broke down. He also knows if you're late because you don't really rate what we're doing much and you just drift in. He knows the difference. So it's not what, I could look at you, you could come 20 minutes late and I could think all sorts of things. Actually, I don't, because I'm usually down here looking this way. But I might be completely wrong. You might have been ill or the child's been ill. But but God knows the difference. Okay? So I think one of the ways we get over-familiar is the way we behave in worship sometimes. And we need to be really clear that we are focusing on God. I'm not talking about whether you wave your arms in the air or not. I'm just talking about a heart thing and a respect thing for his name, that we actually are honouring this wonderful name. We're not actually like talking maybe about, as I say, what you watched on telly or something. We're honouring the name of Jesus. So out of this quite interesting and in fact quite solemn commandment, I want to provoke you to make sure we, we, we treat his name as the name above all names, the highest name. And don't in any sense treat it in an empty way. Amen? With me? Amen. You know, there is a a challenge in the commandment because God said, um, you know, it it could be described as a curse. (laughs) The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. But here is the very, very good news. There is a curse built into this law breaking, but Jesus Christ bore the curse for you. So even if I've said things this morning that disturb you, perhaps you say, well, I have been swearing a lot. I'm not even a Christian. The only time I've ever used Jesus' name is to swear. Well, let me tell you, whatever curse that has brought, that can go immediately. Jesus bore your curse on the cross. You can be clean in a minute as you put faith in Jesus and know his lovely name in all that it means. Maybe you're a Christian, and I hope it might be true that you, as even I was as I prepared, thought, I'm not sure that I'm... I'm okay on this. I think I am over familiar, Lord. I think I am. I even, I'd be very honest with you, I challenged myself. I thought, John, do you use his name too flippantly? I, I did. Because I think you need to test your heart. Now, if you feel, yeah, a bit uncomfortable, well, the good news is, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. And then he's got his spirit with you to help you to put it right and to live differently. If your heart's grown cold, you think, actually, I have got a bit cold and I do sometimes say things I wish I hadn't even about God well he's going to forgive you and then he's going to restore your first love amen he can do that this isn't about a law in the end this is about loving him and honouring him and he's real he's a person (laughs) it's not a law we're relating to it's a being (laughs) the living God our Lord Jesus Christ our Lord and Saviour and we can love him and worship him we're going to do that